Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Good morning. Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Black Pill Radio Show. I'm your host, Tyler, and today's topic is going to be teen pregnancy. We want to talk about everything teen pregnancy. How does how do teens get in this situation? What is the support that the teen have once they're in this situation? We also have two moms who are on a panel, and they're going to talk about their experiences as, as they have became teen moms. And then we have a lady on a panel who's going to talk about her organization and how she helps teen mothers. So I'm going to throw it around a panel so they can introduce themselves to you. So we will start with Miss Tina. Hi, good morning. Uh, thank you, uh, Tyler. Uh, my name is Tina. King, and I'm the co-founder of an organization called Complete Chocolate Couples. Uh, what we do is we empower, educate, um, and inform uh, families. Uh, we start with the adults first, um, and we feel that once we reach the adults, we would eventually reach the children, and, you know, that's going to promote overall family uh, health, uh, mental health, and structure overall. Um, I've been, I became a teen mom at the age of 18. And um, just basically looking forward to sharing my experiences regarding that. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. And Anika? Good morning. Thank you, Tyler, for having me as well. I am the owner of Celebrities Mobile Boutique, which is a fashion truck on wheels. And um, what I do is I hire teen. I was I am a teen. I was a teen mom, should I say. And um, I hire young ladies um, from the Summer Youth Employment program. And um, I teach them how to look good on the outside, but I also teach them how to look, how to feel good on the inside as well. And last but not least, Ms. Meredith. My name is Meredith Barber. I'm the Senior Director of Institutional Advancement for Leak and Watts. We are an award-winning children and family services nonprofit organization. We have over 45 programs at 27 different locations throughout the five boroughs in everything from foster care to early education to juvenile justice, including several programs that support teen moms. And I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Sounds wonderful. So I know this is a touchy topic for some people. So teen, I would like to start with you. Can you just give us a two minute to three minutes um, opening about how you became a teen mom? Um, what was your mind frame when you became a teen mom? And did you have any support system to help you? Okay. Um, product of my environment, uh, pretty much. I was young, you know, I didn't, I wasn't raised with my mom and dad. I um, was in foster homes, you know, and just pretty much looking for attention, looking for validation at a young age. Um, I met someone and, you know, we think that we're in love and we get told we're beautiful and, you know, we get told the right things that we don't necessarily hear at home from mom and dad. So it, it felt to me like, I felt like I was an adult. I felt like I knew it all. And then one thing leads to another. And next thing you know, I'm forced to be a parent. And I don't really know what parenting means. So um, just pretty much, you know, I was forced to become an adult very quickly, very quickly. And um, 
taking what I've learned. We all know it's on-the-job training. There's no manual that teaches you how to be a mom. So here I am trying to grow up, trying to learn how to be an adult, still trying to have a childhood. And now I have this baby who I have to uh, try to make sure that I'm a good mom too. So that's pretty much it. All right. And Anika, is this experience similar or did you have a different experience? My experience was a little different. Um, I got pregnant the first time I had sex at 16. I was a tomboy. I wore my pants hanging down, my sneakers open. And back in the days, back then, we wore two different sneakers. If you had what they call 5411s, which are Reeboks, I don't know if you remember that. But uh, my mother, she's from the South, and she was a single parent. She didn't understand being a tomboy. Back then, it was either you were straight or you were what they called a bulldog. So I was a bulldogger. That's what she told me. And I was tired of her saying that because I knew that I just didn't like boys. They got on my nerves. They annoyed me. They just made me sick. But I knew that I liked, you know, I liked them. I just didn't like them like that. And so I told her one day, I was like, well, I'm going to prove to you that I'm not a bulldogger. And I didn't mean to get pregnant, but the first guy that told me I was cute because I was really dark skinned. So I, you know, I got teased a lot in school. You know, we call it teased, but now they call it bullying. You know, children are committing suicide, but we just took it, you know. And um, so when I, the guy told me I was cute, okay, he gave, I gave it up. And yes, I was pregnant at 16 and I had my son actually the day after I turned 17. So that was my experience. And um, I ran away from home because I just couldn't face my mother after that. And um, so I basically raised my son. Well, we learned together to raise my son, and it was not an easy experience. So I really didn't have any help. Um, I didn't really ask for any help because I, I, I just thought that I didn't deserve any help at that point. So that's my experience. Okay. And I might have another caller on the line who's also a teen mom. Miss um, Geneva, can you hear us? I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Okay. We can hear you Hello? pretty good. All right. We can awesome. hear you. Can you hear us? Yes. All right. So I'm going to bring Miss Geneva in now. I want you to introduce yourself to the audience and then tell the audience your experience about how you became a team mom. So my name is Geneva Farrow. I am a licensed real estate agent and sales trainer currently I'm also the founder of a nonprofit organization called The Young Mother's Dream, um, and our goal is to help young moms to complete their education by um, providing them with scholarships. And um, I started the organization because of my experience as a teen mom. Um, I actually uh, became a teen mom while I was a student at college. Uh, I went to Temple University, and during my sophomore year, at the very end of my sophomore year, um, I found out I was pregnant. Um, I had a, a relationship with a football player um, at the school, and, you know, he didn't want any parts of being a dad. So, um, but I decided to keep my son. And my grandmother, who raised me, uh, she, um, you know, she told me, you know, listen, it's not the end of the world. Um, but send the baby home and finish school. And I refused to do that because my grandmother raised me and my mom was a teen mom, and I felt abandoned by my mom, you know. So I felt like I would never do that to uh, my son. So I didn't want him living with my grandmother and only seeing me on the weekends. Um, so I decided to raise him. And But my parents, my grandparents, 
um, they were super supportive. And, um, you know, when I needed to study for an exam, um, they took my son for the weekend or the week of finals week or whatever. Um, So they were super supportive. But I noticed after graduating college um, that other teen moms didn't have the same experience. A lot of them were abandoned. Many of them, their parents kicked them out of their homes um, because they didn't want to support them throughout the trial of being a teen parent. And so they, um, you know, they were abandoned. And I wanted to do something to um, to support the teen moms um, who were abandoned. Okay, wonderful. And that's how you started A Young Mother's Dream, which is a beautiful thing. So let me throw a question to Tina. Mm-hmm. Tina, she... Geneva Farrow expressed that she had support from her grandparents. Um, did you have anybody who was supporting you who was in your corner? Yes. Well, I was fortunate. Uh, my daughter's father's family was extremely helpful with um, a, you know, babysitting for me to go to work and do what I needed to do. So him and his family was very supportive. At home, I had my aunt who I was currently living with. She was very supportive to me until, you know, we started butting heads and it got to the point where I needed to move out. And, you know, of course, she didn't sign up to have me and a baby. So I moved on and, you know, got my own apartment. But I did have a strong family support from his side and and from my aunt as well. Okay, so Anika, did you have any support systems on your side? And I'm curious, was the child's father involved as well? Yes, he was involved, and actually his mother, um, she helped us out a lot. But the issue with her was she was an alcoholic. So I put my son in jeopardy while she watched, you know, she watched him while she was drunk, but I was, um, I wanted to finish school, and he finished school as well. And the good thing about um, the school that I went to, which is Springfield Gardens High School in Queens, you can actually bring your child to work, I mean, to school with you. So that's what I did up until 12th grade when he caught pneumonia from being around children at such an early age because he was premature, which is another thing that comes with some teenage pregnancies. Um, I had to drop out of school, but I did pursue and um, went to go get my GED. Okay. So I'm going to bring Meredith into the conversation. And Meredith works with young ladies, such as the ladies on the panel. So Meredith, tell us your experience about working with young teen moms. Sure. So Tina's experience is reflective of the experience of a program that we have, a mother and child program that is specifically geared towards teen moms who are in foster care. And so this program is mothers who've been, many have been in the foster care for many, many years. Um, others um, recently have been added to the foster care system because they have been rejected by their families when they become pregnant. And like you um, were saying, many of them talk about how they were looking for love. They were looking for a connection. They were looking for something that was going to return unconditional love to them that they had never had in return. So much of what we do at the program is focused on providing positive examples for parenting. And so a lot of the supports are to be the example of positive parents that these girls have unfortunately never had. Um, These girls have faced tremendous trauma in their lives and abuse and neglect. And so what we want to do is give them another example. And we do that actually using some really specific programs in collaboration with the Ackerman Institute and other things. We use two things called personal best and bright beginnings. And these are each 20 week courses 
personal best focuses on the teen mom. It focuses on how you look at how you were parented and how that influences your parenting style. You look at how you want to be a parent. You look at how you need to focus on self-care for yourself. That if you're not taking care of yourself and doing what you need to do for you, like going to school, following your education, that you can't be the parent that you, you want to be if you yourself aren't feeling good about your own self-esteem. And Bright Beginnings focuses more on both hard and soft skills in parenting, right? So as a new mom, there's no manual, as you said. None of us know what we're doing. We don't know how to, you know, when am I supposed to introduce this solid food? Is this quote unquote normal behavior? When is my kid supposed to be walking? How many words should they have? We, we don't know what these things are. And so Bright Beginnings focuses on learning about those specific developmental milestones, giving you the knowledge you need, but also like how do you deal with stress in the time when your baby has been crying and crying all night and you are so sleep deprived and your baby's eight weeks old? How do you not revert to abusive behavior that was maybe, um, you know, perpetuated on you. So we talk about all these different things, and that's just the beginning of some of the supports. Um, all right, so Meredith talks about education for parents, right? Did, did any of you ladies have any education beforehand, and did you receive any education after? I had education before, well, high school, you know, beforehand. And then afterwards, I did pursue, I did go to college as well. So, yes. Okay. And Anika? And um, I, like I said, I did um, complete my GED, and I am currently a full-time student at Mercy College. So I graduated in May. Okay. And Ms. Geneva Farrow, what, did you have any um, sex ed before you got pregnant? And did you get any parenting training after you had got pregnant or after you had your child? So, so I was a college student, so in regards to um, academic education, I was, you know, in college. But in terms of parenting skills and parenting classes, um, I didn't have any formal parenting classes. My grandmother, though, she babysat children. She was a stay-at-home mom my whole life, and she babysat children. So I was always around a lot of children, even though they weren't, you know, my own Um but I was exposed to, you know, her raising and taking care of a lot of different children. So that was my informal parenting um, education, but I still called my grandmother all the time to ask for advice in taking care of my son. Okay, that's wonderful. So I have a question for you, Geneva. Um, When women get pregnant, it's always their choice if they want to keep the child or not keep the child father. You know, he doesn't make the final decision. Maybe he has say, maybe he doesn't have say. So I'm curious to know, when you were pregnant and you approached the, the baby's father, you said he didn't want to really be involved or he didn't want to be a father. Um, what was that situation like for you and him? And did he step up and be a dad in the beginning? And now fast forward all these years later, is he still involved in his child's life? So in the very beginning, he sort of disappeared, I mean, completely um, throughout my pregnancy. Um, and then he came back maybe around um, eight months, seven months. Um, his brother had talked to me and was like, you know, he, we're you know, about to bring a baby into the world, and we should, you know, definitely speak. And so we did. And he was there for the birth of our son. Um, and he had an intermittent relationship. So there were times when you know, he didn't get along with me, 
um, and then he disappeared for a couple of years, and then then there were times when he was present. Um, so fast forward to my son will be 17 this year. Um, he has a presence in his life. It's not um, a consistent presence as I would like it, but um, he is present, um, you know, and my son chooses how he wants to, you know, maintain that relationship. Okay. And Miss Anika, what was that situation like for you? Well, um, excuse me, my son's dad was in his life, like I said um, in the beginning, but the issue was he was very physically abusive. And I stayed in that situation because I just didn't know anybody. I knew that it was wrong because I watched television and I knew what real relationships was what I thought it was supposed to look like. But I stayed because I couldn't go home. And um, so he was there. But when I finally had enough and I left him, he left him. And um, so now my son is 24. And I always ask him, like, did you speak to your dad? You speak to your dad? No, I don't want to speak to him. I have nothing to say to him. You know, so he's basically not in his life. You know, every now and then he'll call or, but he is definitely not there. So he was abusive to you, but was he abusive to your son? No, I got out before that time. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And Miss Tina, what was your situation like? The situation was uh, when I told him the news, I think both of us immediately had fear of what is my aunt going to say? Because we were afraid of what would happen with my relationship at home. Um, his words were, I will always be there for my daughter. So whatever you want to do, well, for my child, whatever you want to do, just go ahead and do it. So it was a tough decision on my end. Do I disappoint my aunt? Do I, you know, am I ready or can I just end this right away and move on with my life? So, of course, uh, 25 years later, (laughs) I'm here to say that, you know, I made the right decision and he's been there for her. He's he's been, you know, in and out of prison uh, a lot of her years. Um, but for the most part, he's been steady in her life, and they have a great relationship right now. And um, I would say out of the 25 years that she's been here, he's been away maybe five or six. So other than that, he's always been a part of her life. They're very close. All right. So, Ms. Meredith, I have a question for you. So some of the young ladies expressed abuse. Some ladies expressed that the men are kind of in and out. Some of the men are, are in prison and in and out of prison. With the young ladies that you deal with and work with, are there any resources for the fathers of their children? And what do you notice in terms of like your, your opinion on the stats maybe with the ladies that you work with about the fathers being involved, not being involved, maybe some of the fathers being abusive, some of the fathers being in and out of prison. Can you just give us an idea on what that's like in your organization? Sure. Um, we have in the mother and child program specifically for the teen moms in foster care Many of the dads are involved in the lives of their children, and they're still in relationships with the young women who are living in our community residence. Um, Some are closer than others, and some actually seem to be um, healthier than others, where grandparents are also involved on both sides, um, more on the dad side, actually. Sometimes some of the teen moms, they have relationships with their birth parents, but their birth parents aren't able to have them in their homes, perhaps because of their own substance abuse challenges or domestic violence challenges in the home. It doesn't, many of these girls, because they're in foster care, doesn't mean that they don't have a relationship with their parents. It's just not a relationship um, where they can live at home. Others do not have a relationship with their parents at all. It depends. Um, I would say that the healthiness of these relationships is really on a case-to-case basis. I would be um, 
I would be reticent to give you a statistic on a percentage or anything like that. Um, but what we do do is we try to bring everyone together. We use something called a family team conferencing model. Um, that's part of our treatment plan. And so no matter what program you're in with us, you have an individualized service plan that is unique to you to help you achieve your goals. So for example, if we have a mom who hasn't finished high school, we're working on helping her to finish high school. Um, her baby can stay in our on-site nursery during the day where we have, you know, staff who are engaging the kids in positive, um, you know, early education and pre-literacy activities on site. Um, maybe um, one of the girls has graduated from high school. We have one girl that's at Hostess College right now, another one that's at BMCC. So we're going to help them achieve their goals. Other goals might be, you know, around anger management or domestic violence. And in those cases, at this family team conference, dad is at that family team conference if we can get him there too, right? And we want dad to be part of the planning, not only for mom, but for the baby. You know, um, unfortunately, many of these children, maybe mom has been, um, has been using during pregnancy. Maybe um, there have been other situations that some of these babies are born with health problems as well. And so we have to make sure that we are addressing health problems or cognitive delays that we may be seeing. So everybody's getting all the service they can poured onto them. Um, Cause statistically um, children of teen parents um, do not fare as well as the general population. And I'm totally inspired by the two women that I'm sitting in the studio with. Um, but I think sometimes that can be the exception rather than the rule, as I'm sure you know. And so we want to make the girls in our care the exception, not the rule. Okay. So just to be clear, um, the beds that you offer, are they for just the women or are they for the fathers as well? They're just for the women. So our, the home that I'm specifically talking about actually has capacity for 12 moms and their children. There's a room for each dyad. So every mom has her own room with her child. So either a toddler bed or a crib in the room with each mom. And then there's also a nursery downstairs. We have a wide open dining room and living room for community living. There's actually a special dedicated space upstairs just for um, the young women studying. That's their own space and a separate dedicated playroom that's not for the nursery with the staff, but just for moms and their children on their own. So they have their own mom space. And one of the things that I think is the most amazing thing is that the home has really become a place where the girls rely on one another. Right. And so they're able to share their common experience with one another and feel like someone is really understanding them at a visceral level. I mean, I would be um, I would be not telling the truth if I didn't tell you that a bunch of teenagers living in the same house don't sometimes have arguments. <laughs> we all know that about teenagers in general, but they have one another's back and they are really looking out for one another. And that's tremendous. That support is definitely needed. When we talk about support, we're talking about financial support. So when you guys first had your child, was your baby's father financially helping you out? Um, did their family help you out? What was that, that situation for you, Anika, when you say you was with an abusive guy? You know, but was he helping with the bills? Was he helping with the child, even though he was kind of treating you wrong? Like, what was your situation like? Well, I found myself on a line at public assistance, welfare office, and I felt so, oh, I don't even know how to describe it, because back then, it, it wasn't like it was now. Right now, it looks like a benefit card. So it looks like the um, Medicaid 
card. We had a big orange card, okay, with and the food stamps with the paper food stamps. Mm-hmm. So you knew, <laughs> everybody knew in the supermarket that you were on welfare. And I hated that feeling. I mean, he actually went out, like I said, he did finish high school. So he went out and he found a job in Queens, at Queens Center Mall or whatever. And um, he tried. We tried. But I was the one that had to get on welfare because I was the one with the child. And I knew that that's not what I wanted. And that's why I went into the military. And I left them. Okay. (laughs) Tina, what was your situation? I can totally relate. Um, The first thing, and I I don't know if it's like that now, but I know back in when when I was a teen, the first thing you did was go to welfare. That's what it was. You go, you get your food stamps, you get your, that orange card was the, oh. But anyway, the paper food stamps. But just to do that, it's humiliating. It's embarrassing. My daughter's father was, he was in the streets. He was selling drugs. He you on, on the outside looking in, there was no money issues because he had money. But I always was the type of person that I needed to have my own. I needed to, and I teach my daughter that now, have your own. Do not be in a position where you need to depend on anyone. So if he was to go to jail today or tomorrow, I needed to be okay. My aunt was struggling. There was no way I could put it on her to take care of myself and my daughter. So anyway, he... um Money wasn't an issue for a while, but then when we would argue, he would say, I'm not coming around. So what happens when I need pampers? Because we had an argument. So public assistance was there for that. But I am very exci- I was very excited at the part and I was able to go cut off my public assistance. I, I found myself to different from a lot of people because I was that person that was able to go and say, I don't need this anymore. So that felt very good and I couldn't wait. And it went from public assistance to Section 8. I did what I needed to do. But at the end, I was able to say, I want to let you know I have a job. I don't need this anymore. And that feeling is, is like no other. All right. So today, is he still involved financially with your daughter? He or? is. Yes, he, he is. Yeah, he still helps out with her. And Anika, yes. does he help out with your child? No. Oh, well, my son, my son has a son now. Okay. But no, he does nothing. Okay. And Ms. Geneva, what was that experience like for you um, when you first had your child? Was your child's father there for you financially? And where is where is he at today with the finances? Um, so he wasn't there for me financially. I was in he was in college too, um, and he wasn't able to support financially. Um, I used to take my son with me to class, and that at a point that became too much. So I had to put him in daycare. And when I got to that point, I was just searching for programs that would assist in um, daycare. Um, I was also working full-time, but I could not afford, you know, I think it was something like 250 a week for a six-week-old infant, um, eight-week-old infant to, to be put in daycare. So I actually talked to him about it, and there was a program, um, a daycare subsidy, but I had to have him on child support. And I said, well, can you help me with the daycare or one second, Dylan, or or do you want me to put you on child support so I can get the subsidy? And so he chose that route. Um, late fast forward, you know, he he would probably tell a different story, like that conversation never happened. Um, but, you know, it definitely did happen, and that's, what, that's how I was able to get support and subsidy. Um, currently, he still owes a, a lot of money in child support, which is why we had issues over the years. Um, you know, when he when he was paying and he was, you know, good, then we were okay. And then when he didn't want to pay, he didn't speak to me. Um, and then usually when he was, you know, paying and we were on good terms, he would try to convince me. He wants to see that. He would try to convince me to, uh, 
okay, we, he would try to convince me to, you know, end the child support. And so, um, you know, that's where we were, up and down. And, you know, right now he currently owes, you know, a lot. Okay. That's interesting. So, Ms. Meredith, when we talk about the finances, like how do you guys handle that with the women and the baby fathers who are in your situation, in your care? Sure. So for the women in our home, they are in the care either of the New York City Administration for Children's Services, ACS, or the Westchester County Department of Social Service Organizations. So uh, social services, excuse me. So they get a stipend or rather the cities and the county pay our program, pay Leak and Watts certain rates that cover everything that they need in the home, diapers, food, everything that they need, you know, any sort of, um, if they're looking to go to a vocational training program, we're able to pay for that for them while they're in that home. So they have that support. But I will say we have many teen moms that we also support through our early Head Start and Head Start programs, through our family stabilization programs, um, through a program we have called Parent Child Home that's a pre-literacy skill building program, and they're facing many of the same struggles. Um, that have been talked about here in this room. And so what we do is we have uh, case managers who help these teen moms get the services and support that they need, help them get the PA that they need, help them get linked um, with housing that they may need, help them um, get everything that they can to make sure that they have the financial resources um, at their disposal. Um, And then we're also able to link them with free things from time to time. You know, we're able to bring books to them. Um, For the young women, we actually had a wonderful donation actually from a furniture store where they gave every girl a $600 gift certificate. So when they move out, they have that $600 to buy furniture in their homes, which is great. So we're always trying to find different resources and creative places to support them. So when I look at the numbers, I'm looking at teenhelp.com. And according to them, they say 80% of unmarried teen mothers end up on welfare. So we, we kind of talked about that. And I know none of you guys were married. It also says 15% of teen mothers go on welfare within the first year. So that was the case for you guys. And it says there's a $9.4 billion taxes um, that the government spends to cover teen child care needs and teen, teen birth issues. So my question comes to social responsibility. Right? and not putting blame on any of the teen parents out there, but in terms of how we were taught, what we learned, and how did we apply that in our lives as teens. Right. So, Tina, you talked about dating a young man who was in the streets, who was on drugs. No, he was selling drugs. He was selling drugs, sorry. He was on the streets selling drugs. Mm-hmm. So chances are he probably wasn't going to be around because we know that's a stat. Mm-hmm. As a teen, just probably not thinking about it anyway because you're in love and you're oblivious to it, but we know that's how it's going to end up. And Miss Anika, you talked about he was with a guy who was abusive to you. Was he ever abusive to you before you had the child? Mm, Oh, let me think back. Did you see any signs of it? I saw signs, definitely signs, you know, just angry, how he would get angry and just look like, I mean, angry and look like a different person. But I don't think physically until after the fact, because Mm -hmm. I think he felt like he had me then because I had a child. And I think Geneva's situation is a little different than you two guys because she was in college. She was in her sophomore year. She felt grown. She's doing her thing. She's independent. So it's probably a little different experience than you two guys. But what do you two say to people who will say, well, even though you were young teens and, you know, teens make mistakes, teens 
you know, make poor choices, but that you guys are causing a burden on our tax dollars, that if we're not in this situation, if you guys didn't put yourselves in this situation, then things would be different. Um, and we're going to talk about the school-to-prison pipeline soon as well and how much money the, the educational system is spending on that. Um, but what would be your answer to anybody who would say you were socially irresponsible? I would say they were correct. I was socially irresponsible. And my way of giving back is becoming a foster parent. And that's I'm a therapeutic foster parent. So I took it one step further. So my um, young teens, they have um, mental health issues. Um, their parents, you know, that stem, some of them stem from their parents. So I'm giving back by taking them in and giving them the nobody but they're in my home, and I I'm easy. No, I commend um, Meredith for having this program because dealing with teens is no joke. Because, like, you know, I was a teen not long ago, and um, we know everything. We knew everything. There's nothing, you know, that you can um, tell us. But I came up with some strategic ways of talking to them and then you know, allowing them to be comfortable to talk to me. And, you know, and I'll give you a few examples. Uh, well, one example, my son, he just lost his virginity, my 21-year-old. And um, he t- came to me three days later. I was hoping the first 48, but he came to me and he told me that he, you know, had sex. And now this girl who's than him wanted to take him on vacation for his 21st birthday. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. So he went on the vacation to Atlantic City, and I texted him. And I said, um, what are you doing in November? This was just February. And he said, what do you mean, Mom? I said, are we going to a baby shower? You want to go to a baby shower? He said, a baby shower? I said, yes, because if you don't use protection, then in November you'll be having a baby. And he was like, oh, my God, why would you say that? But it made him think. My mother never really talked to me about it. She, made, she more tried to scare me out of it, you know, about having sex. But I'm, like, more embracing it with them and letting them know, I know you're doing it, but we're going to do this the right way. Because I told him, there's no, there's no mistake. You have a penis, she has a vagina, you put it together, it, possibly a baby will come out of it. And if that's not what you want, nine months from now, then let's just wrap it up and, you know, let's just do it for fun right now. So being a foster mom, do you take in kids that are born to teen parents? Or do you take in teen parents with a kid? How does that situation work for you? Well, I was totally against that first, taking in um, teen parents with a child because I just was like, oh, God, I can't do it. But I did. I did it. And um, I don't regret it because I felt like I was protecting the child. It just was hard to deal with the parent, you know, because they want their 18, 19, they want to be an adult, so they want to set their own rules. And I can't, I can't allow them to come in and set their own rules. You have to live by mine. So that's the most difficult part of it is trying to deal with them who – when they think that they're adults as well. But while they're there, which they don't last a long time because they want freedom. They want to be out, you know, or whatever. But I, what I do is I pray and I ask God for however long they're in my home, allow me to instill something in them that they can take with them when they leave. And actually, like two days ago, one of my teen mothers called me. She was like, I'm back in care because she wanted out of care. She was like, I'm back in care. I just couldn't do it by myself no more. And I was like, well, are you and the baby okay? She said, yes. She sent me a picture of the baby. And I said, okay, let's go. We're going to do lunch one day next week. And she was like, okay. So, you know, and that made me feel good because although she left, it was something that made her call me back. And so I feel like, yes, I was socially irresponsible, but I am giving back. Excellent. So, Tina, when your situation... Um, there's a lot of young girls out there dating guys in the street. Mm-hmm. 
Um, these guys are flashy and they say all the right things, like you mentioned earlier, and girls get caught up in that. Um, some girls are not raised with their parents or responsible parents to kind of school them on how to avoid that because that's definitely a trap. And now you're raising a, a young lady yourself. So what was your, your thinking back then? Did you feel you were socially irresponsible? And how are you taking your experience and and teaching your daughter about your experience? Okay. You know, I was socially irresponsible, but, you know, I don't want to take 100% of the blame. I, I would like to, even now, see more adults, you know, do their part in helping their community and helping the young ladies and helping them in any uh, arena that they're in. You can always give back just a little bit to help someone. Maybe, you know, young ladies such as myself didn't grow up with their parents, didn't grow up with a, you know, with anyone telling them constantly. I mean, my family, you know, and I wasn't forced to care, but I also wound up back with my family, which is my aunt. And, you know, we have families telling us, don't do this, don't do that. But we never really understand why. And we never really have anyone in the community to tell us why. Everyone's kind of like taking care of their own business and that's it. So, no, I will not take 100% responsibility of that because I could have used some help. Um, and what I do at this point with my daughter, I, I like to lead by example. We have a very good relationship. She has a very good emotional support system between myself, her, my, my husband, and her father. We all get along and we co-parent very well. And um, she has that to, to witness. I've also tried to instill in her to not make the mistakes I made. My mom had me when she was 17. So it, it could be a vicious cycle. So my daughter, I made sure that I tell, I lead by example and tell her why it's important not to do this. I didn't have anybody to really beat that in my head, why you shouldn't do it. And in turn, I'll give you an example of giving back. I, um, where I work at during my day job, I'm in the financial industry. We have a program that we're involved in called Year Up. It's the Europe Internship Program where you might be familiar with that program. Yeah, so we take uh, – teens from like maybe 18 up until 23 or 24 years old and they're taken from low poverty uh you know neighborhoods and you know kind of sticky situations at home and they give them internships for six months in corporate america <clears throat> so i see these interns come in and i manage the program for quite a few years and they just come in and they go to work and that's it i said i'm not going to be the person that tells them get here on time. Make sure you do this and do that. I give them that. I, they call me momager. I give them that mother support. So you can't call in and say, I didn't come in. I was late because my iron didn't work. Because when we put that conference room door, I'm in them like a parent. Don't do that. You know, I'm giving it to them what they understand, what they would get if they had it at home. So we need to be responsible as adults and give back to these programs, to these communities, and tell them, we're here for you. This is my experience. Let me share it. Because at the end of the day, they can make mistakes, but how is it really a mistake if they don't know any better or they don't know how to get out of it? So, so Jenica, I want to come back to you with a question. So Tina and Anika mentioned support, that there could be more support out there, right? So currently, I'm going to throw a stat out there to the, to the audience. The New York City Department of Education spends $300 million on security in our schools, in our school system. That includes school safety aids, metal detectors, cameras. They're spending $300 million a year. That money could be spent on more education for these teens out here in terms of how not to become a teen parent. And we could just use that money for other areas. If you could speak to Mayor de Blasio, since we are New York City based, if you could speak to Mayor de Blasio, what policies would you want to see him implement and or change? So 
So, can um, Tala, can I just go back to the socially responsible sure. question really quickly? Absolutely. Um, just be, just because I think that it's unfair to um, it's unfair to um, blame team moms for um, becoming team moms. You're talking about children being socially responsible, and I don't think that's a term that um, we should be responsible for. Teens should not be held liable for making mistakes um, like becoming a teen parent uh, and and placing a burden on society. I think that that's a heavy burden to put on teen moms. Um, I think that there are definitely, there was some lapses in our parenting. Um, a lot of us, I think all three of us mentioned that our parents were teen parents, so the cycle that keeps going. So I think the, the responsibility should be placed more on the adults that are parenting the teens um, and not the teens themselves, if that makes sense. Got it, um, it does. And, okay, and so in regards to policies that I need, um, that I would want Mayor de Blasio to put in place, I definitely, um, I think that there needs to just be more support at a younger level. I believe that at middle school and elementary school that the the students are getting younger and younger and talking about sex and teen moms are getting younger and younger. I think the, I went to a Christmas um, function uh, this December at a, a group home, and the mom there was 12. She had a six-month-old baby, 12 years old. Um, and I think that I don't know where the support is happening for those moms, you know, for those teens. Who, who's looking out for this 12-year-old, and, and why is she um, even thinking about sex at, at sixth grade or fifth grade, you know, why is, why is that an option? So um, I think that there should be parenting support um, for the teens um, and the middle schoolers. Um, maybe their parents were not uh, taught how to be parents or maybe they're not present, um, and that's why I think the program for foster uh, children is important as well because where they have issues in their home and their parents and their guardians are not capable of taking care of them, that's where so the lapse comes in and that need for love comes in. Um, so some sort of policy that strengthens the family unit, the parenting, and, and providing support and activities for students even younger and younger so that they're not out having sex and, and um, getting caught up in these situations at 12 and 14. Excellent advice. I'll throw it to you, Tina. If you could talk to Mayor de Blasio and discuss a policy you would like to see implemented or something change, what would that be? Just resources, just uh, providing more resources for these young ladies to take advantage of. And I mean, as teenagers, we think we know it all, right? So just because some resources may be there, you may get some resistance from them. They don't need that. They don't. But again, make it make it make it something that's more appealing to them. Try to hit hit home for them, something that they'll be interested in. If they're interested in, you know, the the latest fashion, make it a fashion show, but get, you know, have some talk about teen pregnancy and things like that in between. Just implement more uh, programs for us to take advantage of as teen moms and make it more attractive, something that'll make them, you know, unfortunately, you know, you may not, it may be something that starts at 9 a.m. They don't want to get up that early on a Saturday, start it at 12. 
you know, just something that's going to help them. And then hit the parents as well. Try to give them something, some type of incentive, you know, a, a discount off this if you participate in this program. I don't know. But just something more than what we're doing right now. And Anika? Yes, I would say the same um, thing. But I think that they should um, have a program for parents now with teens. Um, because I also drove Uber and I picked up a lot of teens. And one guy, um, boy, he stood out because we were talking and he, I said, where are you going? It's so late. And he said, well, I'm going to a girl's house. And I said, why are you whispering? Like nobody's around. And he, I said, your mother don't know where you're going, right? And he said, no. And I was like, why didn't you tell her? He said, I could never tell my mother. Like, I can't talk to her. You know, and I felt so bad for him. So I was telling him that I have sons like your age, you know, and me and him were just talking. And when we finished talking, he was like, Dag, I wish you could talk to my mother. You know, I would want to tell her what's going on, but I just can't. So I think that they should have a program for um, adults to deal with their teenagers, how to speak to them, how to connect with them, how to, you know, and just say the word sex, sex, sex. It's like some people think sex is a bad word, you know, and that's why they don't want to talk about it. And I'm, I'm, I just refuse to be that type of parent. We talk about it. My daughter's 13, and she knows all about it. We talk about it, and if she has questions, sometimes I'm a little uncomfortable, and I'm like, God, please help me give me the right words to say. But she knows about it, because I'd rather tell her than somebody else. I think also in talking about the question about social responsibility, we need to talk about so much of the structural oppression and the structural racism that's happening in our low-income communities. And we need to be pouring services onto those communities. And I agree with Geneva. And when you're talking about social responsibility in a 12-year-old, you know, who are we as a society to be placing that blame? It's our responsibility to be giving that 12-year-old and other teen moms the supports that we that they need. And that can be done in so many different ways. Like what, Anika, am I saying that right? Anika. Anika is talking about family support and parent support for those of us as parents to know how to talk to our children about sex. It's about other supports in the community to help the 17-year-old who is raising their child and doesn't want to perpetuate the cycle, make sure that she is able to finish high school, finish college, get on her feet and really provide for children the way that she wished she maybe had been provided for. And so I think that's on us. And to have a conversation with that, not about that, would really be remiss. And I would also say to your question about what de Blasio is um, if I had, you know, the opportunity to tell de Blasio what I'd like him to do, you know, we actually run a special education school um, that is for kids who have not been successful in their own traditional school. Um, many of them have mental health challenges. Many of them have conduct disorders. Um, they have histories of truancy. And we do not have any metal detectors at our doors because we've made a choice that that is not the environment that we want. That doesn't mean that kids don't know that there might not be the occasional spot check of their backpack and that you can't bring contraband in. But instead, we're putting our resources into social workers, into the school, into extra vocational training. All our classes have no more than 12 kids with one student and a teacher, excuse me, 12 students and one teacher, and some classes even have eight students and one teacher and three teacher assistants, depending on what these kids need. So we're pouring hands-on support. I also think there's something really important that we can bring 
to children and families, and it's something we call credible messengers, and you two women and Geneva on the phone are credible messengers. You are women within an area, and for you to talk to a teen mom has so much more credibility and meaning than for me personally, who was not a teen mom. I had my kids in my 30s, you know, I'm at a very different time in my life, and for you to speak to teen moms gives um, gives a gravitas to the message that others can't give. And so I think we need to be pouring resources into bringing credible messengers into our programs across the city for family support. So you mentioned um, something about a racist system. Can you touch on that? Sure. Um, I mean, I think that we are in a time right now that is very, very troubling where um, issues of racism, anti-religion, and other things have come and bubbled up to the forefront in a way we haven't seen in a long time. And I think that that gives us also the opportunity to think about how we're going to combat that and who do we want to be. Um, we at Leak and Watts actually have been involved with something called um, Undoing Racism, which is actually a a nationwide um, effort. And I'm not remembering who started that, but it's really very interesting. And we talk about like, where is structural racism in society and where can we as an organization try to combat that? One of the things that we've realized that we have um, about 1400 employees in our whole organization working at all our um, different programs. And we're looking at the fact that many of our frontline workforce that are in the care staff and they're wonderful, but they have a high school diploma or a GED. Um, whereas um, many others like myself who are white um, have college education and masters, right? And so how can we help move that needle? So we are pouring money into tuition, into tuition reimbursement to help many of our frontline staff go back to school to get an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree. And that's a way that we're going to combat structural racism. We're not talking about a random act of saying racial slur. These are terrible things, but these are isolated incidents with um, different people, you know, but how do we, in our communities, we're largely in the Bronx. How do we look at our low income communities in the Bronx and see how many teen moms or young moms there are and how do we combat that and break that cycle, you know, and that's just in a little corner of working on our one program, helping that. So that's what I would mean about that. So we, so when you guys have children at a very young age, um, the likelihood of these men, young men and young women going to prison is much higher. Um, you guys usually don't get the education because you have to drop out of school and work. You guys can't get a really good paying job and support yourselves and live on your own because you only have a high school education. So the chances of you getting a job that's going to help you do that is very slim. So sometimes that leads to men going to the streets. Sometimes that leads to women maybe going to the sex trade industry and, and other things like that, especially when you don't have support like Geneva did with her grandparents and, and other people who can step up. And then, that's going to lead to incarceration, especially yeah. for the young men. So that's taking the father from the home. So now you're breaking up these families. So these kids are being raised without a dad, and then they end up in the same perpetual cycle that we talked about. And some of you guys mentioned that your mothers and or fathers both wasn't really involved in and we know how, how all of that affects us. So I want to throw the question to Geneva. We have about 10 minutes left on the show. Um, you're raising a young boy. How are you raising him now so that he doesn't fall or repeat the the situation that you repeated when you was in college because unlike these young ladies here who who had these uh pregnancies when they were in high school yours came when you was in college 
Some people say not so big a deal, right? But it happened in college. So your son, who might be 16, 17, and he's going to go to college soon, what are you, what are you going to say to him, and how are you going to prepare him so that he doesn't end up in a situation like you were? So um, my son, he has had the opportunity to be around so many positive influences um, as I was in college, um, most of the people that I'm connected to, the males, black males that I'm connected to are college educated and, um, you know, working uh, in pretty good jobs. So that's the influences that are in his life. You know, his godfather has a master's from NYU, a bachelor's from Temple, his, you know, his uncles and his cousins, you know, their accountants, and this is what he has to look up to. But I always, um, when I was raising him, um, one of the things that was important to me, or two of the things that were important to me, were extracurricular activities. So at three years old, I started him in karate, in swimming, in basketball, in uh, baseball. I think he has done every, you know, sport and curricular activity that was available to him and to me, and because, and I realized I was privileged in that um, regard because I had a good job. I was a pharmaceutical sales rep. So I made a good salary, um, and so I was able to give him those um, those opportunities. The other thing is I made sure he traveled. Um, also, feeling like travel and stepping outside of your current situation and being able to see how other people live and, and see the world gives you a different view on life. Um, and not all of the travel I paid for. I, um, when he was 13, he went to Spain for free on a program that uh, they're trying to teach English to some village in Spain. And so they brought students from across the world to come talk to these Spanish students, and they stayed there for free. And so those types of opportunities, I believe, help him have a different outlook on life and on his education, on the possibilities of what is out there. I know a lot of the teens that I talk to that uh, are in troubled situations, they've never left their borough or they've never left New York. And so what they're immersed in is just constant struggle, constant poverty, um, my mom, I talk about my mom being a teen mom, she was on welfare. She's been on welfare her entire life, her entire adult life. And um, so she's never traveled out of the state. And constant poverty, constant people dying from gun violence, when you're surrounded by that, you think that that's all there is. You think that there's nothing else. And I refuse to have my son feel like there was nothing else for him. And so at 16, about to be 17, he's an honor society student. He's an honor roll student. He's also a dual college and high school student. So they have something called the College Now program, and he's taking college classes at BMCC as well as his high school classes. So um, I believe that just focusing on those two things, getting him out of the environment and travel and extracurricular activities were what helped me to make sure that he was a good student and had uh, his future on his mind. 
Excellent. So we're going to wrap this up soon. We have five minutes left to the broadcast. I want to ask you ladies quickly, um, the programs that you run or the people that you work with or what you do on an individual basis to help teens, can you reiterate that again? So people out there who are listening to the show, who are going to share this show later, rebroadcast the show to their friends, family, and hopefully teens and schools and junior high schools. Um, Tell us where they can find you. Do you have a website? If you want to get out another, you can, but social media contacts, anything like that, and just click quickly what you do exactly so they know who they call or if they should call all you guys. We'll start with Tina first. Okay. All right. Um, basically, um, I'm, like I said, during the day for my day job, I uh, help with the interns there uh, through the Year Up Internship Program. Um, also, through our organization, Complete Job for Couples, we uh, deal mainly with the parents, also certify relationships. Goes from coaching women who are still in relationships as well as teens and young parents or just young adults anyway. So um, I can be reached on Facebook at Tina King. I can be reached on Instagram um, at Tina King. And I can also be reached at Tina King at CompleteChocolateCouples.com. Excellent. And we'll throw to Sonika. And I, um, excuse me, like I said, I have a fashion truck. It's like a boutique on wheels, like a food truck, but it's a fashion truck. And I am based in Harlem on Lenox Avenue, 126th Street, um, but I'm, I'm mobile, so I go, you know, I do different events, and um, I take in some of youth employees, so if you want to work for Celebrities Mobile Boutique, you just go to your school and say that I want to work for Celebrities Mobile Boutique, and then they will find me. Um, my Instagram and Facebook is The Celebrities Boutique or Celebrities Mobile Boutique, and yeah, that's my information. Okay, and Ms. Geneva? So uh, you can connect with me either directly on Facebook, which is Geneva Marie, um, or you can go to the A Young Mother's Dream Facebook page. A Young Mother's Dream used to have uh, monthly support groups. We currently are not doing support groups, but we are providing scholarships. So any teen mom that is looking to attend college and needs scholarship support or is currently a college student and needs assistance, grades are not an issue. It's just that you, you just need to be an active student and enrolled, um, and you can get a scholarship from A Young Mother's Dream. Um, the Facebook page is up. Also on Instagram, I am Geneva Marie. Excellent. And Miss Meredith? Great. You can find us um, at Leakin Watts on Twitter or Leakin Watts on Facebook. We also have a website. It's www.leakandwatts.org. That's L-E-A-K-E-A-N-D-W-A-T-T-S. And you can call us at 914-375-8700. And that's for not only if you are interested in our specific mother and child program that I was speaking about, but more for the general population. We have a family resource center with a support group for young moms and teen moms. We can link you with early Head Start or other early education needs that your child might have. And really, you can call us if you have any question about any social service that you have. With 45 different programs, we probably have it. (laughs) Sounds wonderful. So that was a great broadcast today. We talked about issues that teen moms face. We talked about solutions and resources that are available to some of the teen moms. Um, In the description box, when you guys go to the website, which is blackpillradio.com, um, also through you. Great. Also through YouTube, you guys will be able to find links to all of their websites, all of their social media pages. You can contact them, call them, 
and um, arrange meetings or arrange to, to meet with them or have them come speak at one of your schools or one of your events. Um, these ladies are all welcome. Um, for full disclosure, I did try to get some men who were team fathers, but we couldn't get any to come on to the broadcast. So it's an all-women show. So I don't want you to feel like we just brought women onto the program. We definitely tried to get some men in here as well, but it didn't work out. So as always, we broadcast our show every first and third Sunday of each month from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Again, just go to the website, blackpillradio.com, for more information. I thank you for tuning in to today's show, and we will see you again in two weeks. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.